We're going to be in Genesis 39 today. Genesis chapter 39. That's going to be on page 33 in those black Bibles around in the chairs. Um, and as we do, the reason why we, we, we stand and read um, the scripture that we're going to teach on most every Sunday is because that's what Paul commanded us to do. He commanded us to give attention to the public reading of the Word of God. And so we're standing on the shoulders of thousands of years of history all the way back to the Apostle Paul. So Ed Cotton's going to come and read Genesis chapter 39. He's going to read the full uh, chapter, verses 1 through 23. So please stand as we give reverence to God's Word. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to him, see, He has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there... He was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. All right. This thank is you. the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. Lord, this is a great story, a story that we are well acquainted with. And in that, it maybe we might not be so familiar with. Of the underlying principle, the main theme of this passage is that the Lord was with Joseph. 
And so that's why we sang that song from 1995, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, because that is where we want to be. We long to be, is in the presence of the King. And so, Lord, thank you for uh, this passage that brings out that point. Lord, we also want to pray for our sister church, uh, Redemption out in New Jersey, Redemption Brick. Um, It's a church that we planted several years ago that uh, Eric Lawyer, the lead pastor, was a part of the uh, the Crossway uh, Chapel movement and the crossing, and, and we helped train him up and send him out and coached him and support him. And, and by God's grace, his church is flourishing now, almost uh, 10 years later. And they've planted another church with Daniel Nelms. And Lord, we see that happening uh, through the church planting uh, movement that we have here at the crossing. Our desire to, to make disciples who then make disciples who then go to other parts of the country to, to, to spread the good news of Jesus. We also remind that Rich and Jess Gardner at another church plant that we had a hand in planting in Alamo's Czech Republic. And so we pray for them as a couple to go and serve Freddie and the church in Alamo's. Lord, it's humbling to think how you use this church, the crossing in Fort Collins, to reach people not only in other places in the States, but also in other places in the world. Lord, let us continue to keep that vision and mission at the forefront. Lord, it Church planning is a byproduct of us loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our neighbor as ourself, and then making disciples of all the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. So way back in, in 2001... When I was a 30-year-old young man, I was working for a ministry called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, even though Rita and I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of the areas that I was responsible for was the, the southeastern part of the state, uh, Roswell, Carlsbad, uh, places there. And, and at this one point, uh, I was down in Carlsbad, New Mexico, and uh, I was doing ministry there. I pulled up. Uh, into my hotel room, and the hotel I was staying at, um, they had like a, a main building with rooms in it, but they had like little little cabins or little separate hotels by themselves, and I got blessed to be in this little separate uh, hotel by myself, so I kind of pulled in right next to my door uh, of the hotel. I went into my uh, hotel room, was unpacking, and five minutes later, I got a knock on the door, and um, I opened it up, and there were two young ladies, probably in their 20s, that were provocatively dressed. Um, and um, they said, hey, is John here? And I was like, no, there ain't no John here, you know. And um, she was, well, they, you know, she, he told us to come back and, and meet us here, to come and hang out inside, you know, his, his hotel room. I said, well, sorry, no John. And just as I was closing the door, she kind of stopped and said, well, if John's not here, do you, do you want us to come in and hang out with you in your hotel room? And... Um, it's amazing what you can process in such a short time when, a, when a something like that happens. Because immediately I thought of my wife, Rita. I thought of my kids. I thought of the ministry and all the people that were leaning on me to, to lead this ministry. Uh, but the thing that really overwhelmed me in that moment was the very presence of God. There, there have been moments in my life where the Lord's presence was like, you could, you, it was palpable. I could feel, I could take, I mean, he was there. He was like right there next to me. And so I quickly uh, said, no thanks, um, and shut the door on their, uh, right, you know, right on their face. 
And, and, and today we're looking at a familiar story. We're looking at the familiar story of Joseph and his temptation. And what we can quickly go to is the, the moral lecture and preach on how to avoid sexual temptation and, and be a man of integrity as the main point. And, and while that's a point of this narrative, it's not the main point. It's not the main thought that the Holy Spirit is trying to get through Moses who authored this chapter. The main point in this chapter is the Lord was with Joseph in times of blessing and in times of need, in times of struggle. That's the main theme of Genesis 39. That's what I want us to walk away with because the, uh, the reason that Joseph could flee, as we'll see, Potiphar's wife, is not because he was just a good guy. It's because he had to fear the Lord. The Lord was with him just like the Lord was with me in Carlsbad, away from my friends, away from my family, um, the Lord was with me. And so as the Lord was with Joseph, for us living on this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that leads us, that guides us, that fills us, that directs us, that we can experience a greater depth of the Lord being with us. That's what this passage is about. So let's look at this. First, we see that the Lord is with Joseph in Egypt in verses 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought him from the, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. What do we have in this first verse? What we have here is the beginning of the Exodus story. This is, this is the beginning of the Exodus story. A lot of times we think of the Exodus story and we think of Moses and the book of Exodus, and that's where it begins. But it doesn't begin there because first the Jews had to get to Egypt for them to be exited or saved from Egypt. So how do they get here? Right here. This is how the Jews entered the land of Egypt. Joseph was sold as a slave and bought by the second most powerful man in Egypt and really all the world because that was the world power of the time. This guy named Potiphar. We knew that Potiphar was the captain of the guard, meaning he was the king's kind of secret service ambassador. He was the one overseer, the, the one that uh, was responsible for the safety of the king. And over the next several decades, until we get to Moses, it is Egypt that gave um, sanctuary. It is Egypt that gave refuge to the nation of Israel. It is here where they flourished and grew into a great nation. And we see that in Exodus 1.6. So even though it starts out a little bumpy with just Joseph being there, we know it comes to an abrupt end with Moses for decades, for years, Egypt served as a place of refuge for Joseph and his family. And then what we see is that thousands of years later, decades later, Egypt serves as a refuge and a sanctuary for Jesus. You guys remember that Herod wanted to kill you know, all the babies under two, and so uh, Joseph took his uh, son Jesus, and they fled to Egypt for a number of years. So again, we see another connection of the great redemption story and how Joseph's life points us to Jesus. We see these similarities. So verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. I want you to get your pen ready to underline and circle that phrase because it only happens here in verse 2, but it's repeated again in verse 3, it's repeated again in verse 21, and it's repeated again in verse 23. And we know when we're studying a narrative or parts of Scripture, when a phrase or a word is repeated, that means being, it's exemplified, it's being amplified by the Spirit. We need to circle it and highlight it because that's what's happening in this context. Genesis 39 begins and ends by pointing us to the point that the Lord was with Joseph. 
That's the main thought of this passage. Now, we know the story. We just read it, and we might say what? The Lord, really? You're with Joseph? Really? That, this is what it looks like for you to be with Joseph? Let's just remind when we kind of came in contact with Joseph in, in Genesis 37. Let's kind of give a summary. You remember that Joseph was uh, Jacob's favorite son, and he gave him this special coat, this special robe to kind of highlight his favoritism towards uh, uh, Joseph. And we know that his other 11 brothers uh, despised him because of that and hated him. And we see maybe a little arrogance even in Joseph with his brothers. So one day when he was supposed to go find them uh, while they were shepherding and bring a report back to his father, what did his brothers do? They captured him. They beat him. They stripped him down basically naked. They threw him into a pit. And then they sold him to these Ishmaelites. Now, now he's 100 miles away from anyone he knows or anything he is familiar with. He is alone by himself. Really, Lord? You're with him? That's what it looks like for the Lord to be with you? And the answer is yes, really, the Lord was with Joseph. Let's continue. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian masters. And his masters saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all things that he did to succeed in his hand. So Jesus, Jesus, uh, Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. And it goes on to see, under Joseph's care, a part of his house experienced incredible abundance, incredible blessing. And I want you to think about this. When, when, when Joseph was first sold and he first stepped foot in that house, what was his attitude or what could it have been? Remember, Joseph is 17, 18, 19 years old. He's a, he's a young man, and all of a sudden, he's, he's a slave. Joseph could, as soon as he stepped foot in Pharaoh's house, he, known as a slave, he could have thrown in the towel. He could have questioned the Lord and his sovereignty. He could have questioned, Lord, are you good? This is not fair. I don't deserve this. He could have gotten bitter at the Lord and maybe even gone into a deep depression, right? That's what he could have done, but he didn't. If he did that, that would be the end of the story and there would be nothing really for us. But instead, what did he do? Joseph, this young man, he purposed in his heart to believe in the Lord. To believe in the Lord that the Lord was with him. And and the Lord sovereignly put him in this situation. The Lord was with him. And therefore, since he had that thought, that's the choice of the path that he desired to go with. He served with Pharaoh with his whole heart and he was blessed. You see, you and I have a choice just like Joseph. We know that difficult times are going to come. Some of you guys are in the valley right now. You're, you're facing a very difficult situation. And the natural tendency for us is to say, you're not fair, God. See all that I'm doing for you? Why are you doing this to me? And why not that sinner over there? But we have a choice. We could go that route. And when we go that route, when we start to question him, when we start to question um, that he's unfair and this sucks, what we do with that is we imprison our hearts. We imprison our hearts to bitterness. We imprison our hearts um, to, with fear. And what that does is that paralyzes us in that circumstance and in that situation, the woe is me attitude. Or what we can do is take the path of faith. What Joseph is doing is he's exercising faith in the promises of God and who God is and his character and what he knows about God. And that's the same thing we can do. We can, by faith, believe in the Lord and his promises that he has given to us in his world, in his word. That the Lord is good, that he does love us, 
that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never put us in a situation that is going to cause us to walk away from him, but he will cause all things together for our good. For our good. We know that we live in a Genesis 3 world. We know that we live in a world that is filled with sin. We know that we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us that is, that, is, that is relentlessly pursuing you and me and trying to harm us. Therefore, there's difficulties in this world. G, uh, Joseph, again, was going through the ringer. We, we also fast forward. This is not just an Old Testament problem, but this is a New Testament problem, this side of the cross. We see the Apostle Paul, the same thing. The Apostle Paul struggled. He was countlessly beaten. He was imprisoned. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night adrift at sea. And this is probably one of the most faithful servants of God. And we see all these things happen to the Apostle Paul. Yet what was his attitude? Did he go in the tank? Did he blame God? Did he say God was not good? No. 2 Corinthians tells us this. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what it says. It says this. Let me get the specs on too. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, actually I'm going to start in verse 8, it says this, for verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. What treasure? We have Jesus Christ, the gospel, in jars of clay to show us what the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down and not dismayed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. That's what Joseph lived. That's how Joseph lived, and that's how we should live. We have this Good news, the gospel of Christ living with us. And when trials come, they will not crush us because of who he is and what he has done. Jesus' life is running through us. So we see that Joseph chose to believe and trust in the promises of God, in his Lord, in the invisible hand of providence guiding Joseph's life that we have been talking about the last couple weeks in the book of Genesis. I mean, think about it. He's 17, 18, 19 years old. He was the favorite child, the one that was going to take over the family, and now he is at the lowest point of humanity. He is considered a slave in a foreign land. As the saying goes, he got dealt lemons, so he made lemonade. He believed that the Lord was with him. He believed in the invisible hand of providence, so he did not fear. He did not go in the tank. Do You guys, you guys should know this because we said this a number of times, but do you know what the most commanded verse in the Bible is? It's do not fear. It's do not fear. And then the tagline, why? For I am with you. For I am with you. Even in the Great Commission where Jesus sends out his disciples, it begins and ends with, I am with you. The Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with us. And as Joseph decided to walk down that path, and that's his attitude, the result was what? The result was blessing. The result was promotion. Was it difficult? Was it hard? Absolutely. Did Joseph struggle? Sure he did. Did he have moments of despair and doubt? Sure he did. Absolutely. But the overarching theme is what we see is when he went down and trusted the Lord, we see that the Lord blessed him. And we see in the overall context of Genesis, what is happening is he's fulfilling the promises in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that were first made to Abraham. That in Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. And this is what is happening here. Here we have a pagan family, a Gentile family. It has no concept 
of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And yet, the Lord is physically blessing Pharaoh's household like no other. He is walking in wealth. He is walking in blessing. Why? Because God's covenant servant, Joseph, was there living for the Lord and blessing Joseph's hand. Joseph was obedient to the Father, to God the Father, even in the midst of slavery. And so we see that Joseph could see that even though much appeared to be the contrary of the Lord being with him, Joseph trusted and staked his life that that the Lord was with him, that God was with him. And because of that, and understanding the Lord is working, the story of redemption was being played out in Joseph's life and blessing Pharaoh, or Potiphar. And we have the same, again, the same opportunity. You and I have a choice. As you look at your life right now, what direction, what road are you going to take? Are you going to take the road of woe is me or that of a victim? Or are you going to take the road that the Lord is with me? He's going to use this circumstance for his glory and ultimately my joy, even though it's difficult right now. We have this opportunity to be used by the Lord and to make the best situation out of a difficult situation not only for ourselves, but for those around. For us to be a testimony to those around that we trust the Lord. Not only in good times, but also in difficult times. So we need to press into the Lord just like Joseph. That's point number one. Number two is the Lord is with Joseph in Potiphar's house. Verse 6b. So he left all that he had. Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. That's amazing. I mean, think about it. All that he had. The keys to his house, the the financials, his credit cards, all to this house to this pagan slave. He left all he had to Joseph. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. That last phrase, Joseph was a handsome man, form and appearance, is used nowhere else in Scripture for any other guy. Only here is it used for Joseph. And we shouldn't be surprised, right? Because it should remind us of the echoes of the time of his mom in Genesis chapter 29, where Rachel, Jacob's wife, remember he had two wives. He had Leah, who had the lazy eye. Remember Leah, right? Lazy eye Leah. Um, but then he had Rachel, and it says about Rachel that she was beautiful in form and appearance. So this is a good-looking family, right? It's a good-looking family tree. Joseph was a good-looking dude of his stature and his physical appearance. And what did he do? Not only did he catch the eye of Potiphar, but he also caught the eye of Potiphar's wife in a much different way. Uh, there's a, uh, an ancient Hebrew commentary called the Midrash, and uh, it kind of highlights some of, of, of Potiphar's wife and the story with Joseph, and it says that she was obsessed with Joseph. She lusted after her manslave, and what she would do is she would tell her girlfriends in the city, it's like, man, we got this new, new guy named Joseph, man, he's a, he's a Hebrew hunk, you know, this guy is hot, right? And uh, I'm going to, um, you know, and, and, this, and her girlfriends, well, he's, he can't be that good looking, holy cow, I mean, after all, he is, you know, Hebrew, he's not Egyptian. And so what she did is, the story goes this, is she invited her girlfriends over for a little party, a little daytime tea party, and she gave them all each a piece of fruit and a knife to, to peel the fruit with. And what she did is, as she gave them the fruit and the knife, she had Joseph come in and out, in and out. And the, the, uh, her girlfriends were so, uh, what's the word, enthralled with Joseph and the way he looked that they would be cutting their fruit, they would slip and they would slice their hands. And so she actually, 
And I don't know if it's true, but she made them wear white. So by the time they left, they had like blood stains all over their white clothes. And this is what she said. This is how you are affected when you see him only for a moment. Imagine how I must feel seeing him all day long. So lust just took over Mrs. Potiphar and she wanted Joseph. Verse 7. We see that she's a, she's a shy woman. Verse 7. And after a time, yeah. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Again, subtle hints, right? Literally in the original language, that means sex now. That's what it means. If you have the NIV, it means come to bed with me. This is this command of this woman really using her power over Joseph. We've seen this narrative happen, and usually it's with men who abuse their power to take advantage of women, right? Uh, The last time we saw this was was Onan abusing his power over Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. And we said, this is unacceptable. This is not right in the sight of God. We condone this type of abuse here at the crossing and anywhere else. No one is to abuse their power over another individual, and particularly over for sexual favors. But here we have a woman. Mrs. Potiphar is taking advantage of her position over Joseph. And I just want you guys to know, I wanted to point that out, because we are, um, you know, we, we here at the crossing believe in gender equality here, right? And we believe that both men and women are equally sinful and wicked, right? That's what we believe here. <laughs> Abuse of power just doesn't happen on the male side, although it does. It happens on both. Why? Because of the condition of the human heart. Both men and women have desires to satisfy themselves in a number of ways. And here we see Mrs. Potiphar doing that, the same thing. And it still happens today. We see women teachers taking advantage of young men in school. So so Mrs. Potiphar wanted this Hebrew hunk. Verse 8, but he refused. Can you imagine that this young... This young Hebrew slave, 17, 18 years old, has this older woman who was, I mean, she was probably good looking. She probably didn't look like Jabba the Hutt. That would have been easy to run away, right? But she had all the trappings of what it means to be, you know, she was married to the second highest in command in Egypt. And it said he refused her. Now, here's another little area where Joseph's life should remind us of Jesus. Because it's here where he echoes the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. Here we see that, that Joseph is actually a shadow of a second Adam that we know that the ultimate second Adam is in Jesus Christ. Here we see that there's a temptation that is very similar to, to Genesis in the account of Genesis chapter 3. Here Joseph has full reign over this domain that he has been given. Just like Adam and Eve had full reign over the garden. And yet there was a couple commands to say, hey, do not eat this. And then the command to Joseph was, do not take the food and do not touch my wife. Otherwise, everything in the house is yours. And this is what we see. And when the temptation comes where the very thing that he was commanded not to touch, that was forbidden to him, his wife, Pharaoh's uh, Potiphar's wife, when that temptation came, unlike Adam and Eve who ate of the fruit, Joseph denied. He had victory over that temptation. Again, it's here that Joseph is a shadow. It's pointing us to the greater Adam that would be tempted in Matthew chapter 4, and yet Jesus would, again, have victory over any temptation that the enemy would have over him. 
So here, when he says he refused, this is something more is going on than just a sexual temptation. What's going on here is that, that Joseph is being, having us point to Jesus as a second Adam. And Jesus obviously being the fulfillment of that second Adam. So Jake, Joseph refuses, which is incredible. And again, we're given three reasons why. Again, these are good principles that can guide us as well when we are confronted with sexual temptation. The first is this, loyalty and trust. First, that motivated Joseph was loyalty and trust. Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house, he has put everything in my charge. He's given me full, full domain. He is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything except you because you are his wife. Joseph pledged his allegiance to to Potiphar, and he didn't want to break that. He was loyal to Potiphar. And he didn't want to break his trust, especially with his wife. And we know that in any relationship, in marriage, in friendship, in, in um, an employee-employer relationship, these two attributes are crucial to have a good relationship, loyalty and trust. And so we see here when, when temptation, in particular sexual temptation here, comes to you and comes your way to try and trap you, think about loyalty. Think about your unwavering allegiance, unwavering allegiance to your spouse, to your kids, to your boss, to whoever it may be, and let that help propel you to turn away from that temptation. When temptation comes your way, think about all the people that are trusting in you, in me, to make the right decision in the heat of the moment. Think about your spouse, again, your kids. Put, put their faces in your mind so that you can flee and turn away from sexual temptation. So that's number one, loyalty and trust. Number two is the presence of the Lord. Verse says this, how can I do this great wickedness against this and sin against God? How can I do this great witness, wickedness and sin against God? Notice it doesn't say, and sin against Potiphar. No, it says sin against God. Uh, he, he's way ahead of his time than when David, you know, fell to Bathsheba and David wrote Psalm 51 in repentance and he said, to you, you alone have I sinned against, talking about the Lord and, and, and David's adultery. This is what Joseph is doing. He recognizes that when we sin, we first and foremost sin against the Lord above everybody else. I heard a phrase this week regarding the presence of the Lord in this point that I never heard before, and it really helped me grasp it, uh, this, this idea that the Lord is always with us, and when we do sin, the first person that we sin against is, is God. And it goes like this. In moments of temptation, we need to have a better awareness of the thereness of the Lord. And for me, that, that phrase just makes it more personable. I mean, we talk about here about the omnipresence of the Lord, that God is everywhere. And that's kind of like impersonal. Yeah, like God is everywhere. But here, that we need to have a better awareness of the thereness of God. To me, that, that, that hits my heart. That's tangible. That's something I can say, man, okay, I, I get this point now. And for Joseph... Even though he knew he was in a foreign land, no friends, no family, heck, no one that even believed in Yahweh was in this city, was in this house, was in his presence. He still understood that the Lord was with him. He understood he had an awareness of the thereness of God in his life at that moment during this temptation. And we also, again, this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Understanding that the Lord is here, 
that the Lord is there, that the Lord is everywhere. Uh, my daughter, I was in her room uh, this, this, uh, this week. I was, I was actually taking a nap, and Rita was babysitting some kids. It was loud, so I kind of escaped to my daughter's room to take a nap. And um, I, I was just laying in bed, and all of a sudden I saw over her little, you know, her little mirror where she kind of gets dressed. There's a sign, and the sign says this, I'm watching God. And I thought, that is it right there. I'm glad that little sign is above my little girl's mirror right there and that she's thinking that way. I want you to remind you again with Exodus. Remember Moses. Remember Moses when he killed that Egyptian. Do you remember what it says in, the, in, the, in Exodus chapter 2? It says this. It says that there's the fight and Moses, Moses came to it and he said, and Moses looked this way and he looked that way and not seeing anyone, what did he do? He killed the man. He went on and sinned. He looked horizontally, but he never looked vertically. He never acknowledged the awareness of the thereness of God. And this is what I think. If we can cultivate this truth, if we can cultivate this truth in our lives, the awareness, the thereness of God in our hearts, in our minds, in everyday life, when we come against temptation, sexual temptation or any other kind of temptation, that when we have this thought, this presence, it's going to help us combat that temptation and give us victory. So that's number two. Number three, I don't know how to phrase this, so I just phrase it this way. He didn't play with fire. He didn't play with fire. Verse 10, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. In other words, Joseph had to be in the house with her, but every chance, every opportunity he could, he avoided her. And when he was in her presence, he didn't listen to her chatter. He avoided her. He understood that he had victory over the first wave of this temptation, but knew there was way more to come on a daily basis. Therefore, he avoided her as much as he could. Um, so we, you guys know we have five kids. They're all grown, but we lo- used to love going to Chuck E. Cheese, right? And temptation is a lot like that game in Chuck E. Cheese where you have like those 12, you know, holes and these things that pop up. You guys know the game I'm talking about? And you got this club and you got to try and knock it down, right? And I love that game because I wanted to see, you know, how long I could last and, and the, the hole would pop up. And they start off slow. They pop up and you smack the head. But all of a sudden they get faster and faster and faster. What happens? You will lose, Right? You will lose. It doesn't matter how fast you are. If you play with temptation enough, you will lose. And so Joseph knew Proverbs 6.27 before it was ever written. It says this, Joseph knew that he couldn't carry fire next to his chest without his clothes being burned. That's what happens when we play with temptation. It's like us carrying fire near our chest. And we know that it will burn our clothes. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this about batting temptation. This is another great picture. He says this, You can't stop the birds from flying above you, but you can make sure they don't build a nest on your head. Right? That's, that, that's how we handle temptation. We, we, can't, we can't stop the temptation coming, but we can stop the temptation from having any effect in our lives. So those are the three ways, loyalty and trust, the presence of the Lord and don't play with fire. So let me just ask you a straightforward question in your relationships today. Are you playing with fire? Are you playing with fire? Are you playing the game of temptation uh, with with a coworker, with a friend, with a stranger? I don't know. Just take the look and take a, a cue from Joseph. 
to don't play with fire and don't even attempt to play the temptation game because you will lose. Well, that's about, that's Joseph. And we see that Joseph, again, is about to experience kind of another saying that hell has no fury like a woman's scorn. Because we see in verses 11 through 18, Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, sets Joseph up. And she wants to close the deal on this Hebrew. Verse 11 says, But one day when he went to his house to do his work, and none other than men were in the house, was there in the house, she caught him by his garments, saying, Lie with me again. But he left his garments in her hand and fled and got out of the house. First, what is it with Joseph and his clothes, you know? The poor garments are always getting away, this poor guy. First, if it's his, you know, his colored jacket, his little robe, and now it's these clothes. But anyways, Joseph again denied Mrs. Potiphar. She gets angry. She gets irate. She's frustrated. She's even humiliated that she couldn't get this Hebrew hunk slave to lie with her. And so when she realizes that she has his garments in his hands, she's, and he's gone because bear to streak out naked then to sin, she plays the part of the victim and frames him. A false witness, a false testimony. And she starts to tell the other men, and then she eventually tells her husband who was, you know, out working or something. And she tells him the exact opposite of what happened. Who was the victim and who was the victimizer? And that takes us to our third point, that the Lord is with Joseph in prison in verses 19 and 23. As soon as, Potiphar, as soon as his master Potiphar heard these words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way of your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and rightly so. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there with them, and he was there in prison. We see that the husband, Potiphar, is teed off. His anger was kindled, and rightly so. But here's the question. Who was his anger? Who was he angry with? Was it with Joseph or was it with his wife? You know, we're not, we're not sure what the relationship was, was with Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar. We're not sure that, you know, if Mr. Potiphar was a workaholic and never had time for his wife, so she had knees and he was never around. He just ignored her. We're not sure if, uh, you know, Mr. Potiphar had a bunch of, you know, uh, you know escorts or, or concubines on the side and she was just getting revenge. We don't, we don't know if it was a healthy marriage or a bad marriage. So we don't know if he was anger with Potiphar, I mean, with his wife or Joseph. I think the next, the, 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 the verse that says this, that and, um, Joseph was put into prison, kind of gives us an, an idea of who he was more angry with. Uh, and we think he was more, I think personally, and this is my, my view, and, and others hold to this, it's not out there, but I think he was personally more angry with his wife than with Joseph. He knew Joseph's character. He saw Joseph work. He saw Joseph's fear of his God, and he saw his house benefit from that. And I think he also knew his wife. The, you see, attempted rape in Egypt was punishable by death. So if Potiphar believed that Joseph was trying to rape his wife, he would easily have him executed, no questions asked. But he doesn't have him executed. He hasn't put in prison. So that's why I think Potiphar's anger was more geared towards his wife and not Joseph. But he has to do something. He has to do something. So he does put Joseph into prison. And again, we see this, this accusation come against Joseph, falsely accused, not his fault. And we think, okay, now surely Joseph is going to lose it this time. 
Surely Joseph this time is going to say, hey, Lord, come on, man. This is not fair. Once, okay. Twice, no, no good. And he could have went to the tank. He could have let bitterness. But again, he doesn't. The situation is not his fault. He shouldn't be put in prison by Potiphar. He should be commended by Potiphar because he obeyed Potiphar's command. His wife should be put in prison or etc. But it's not that. We see in verse 21 that he was thrown in jail. But we see this again. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. What? Again, think of the circumstances. This is what steadfast love looks like. Falsely accused, thrown in prison. But the Lord showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. What was Joseph's response? Was he bitter? No. In fact, what did he do? He became a model prisoner in this difficult time to the extent that the warden exalts him to oversee the whole prison, gives him this leadership position, and then doesn't even worry about the, 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 the prison anymore, the warden, because Joseph is doing such a great job. Again, we see Joseph trust in the invisible hand of providence in his life. We see Joseph trust in the sovereignty of God in his life. Because this was the way Joseph, this was his attitude. He said, well, I'm in prison, so I guess the Lord wants me to have a prison ministry. Right? That's his thought. That's his thought. I, that, this is where the Lord wants me? I'm going to live for the Lord. I guess he, wants, he has something here for me to do. And that's how he lived. And again, I want us, this is amazing. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're not thinking like, man, who, who is this guy? Let's just be reminded again of who Joseph is. I've said it a number of times. He's a, he's a high school senior or a sophomore in college, somewhere in there. He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a missionary. He's just a young farmer. That's his background. And yet we see him have this passion for the Lord. We see this faith from this young man. And again, pause and think about it. Us sitting on this side of the cross looking back. How much more should we be compelled? How much more of an advantage do we have because we have God's full written word, his revelation, and his Holy Spirit that indwells us, that leads us, that guides us, that fills us, as Ephesians 5 says. Remember in John chapter 16, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that what? I go away. Why? So I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when I send you the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead you in conviction. He's going to lead you in justice. He's going to lead you in righteousness. This is who we have. God with us. Dwelling us. Guiding us. And directing us. We just have to bow our knee to his presence. And so we see this incredible model we have in Joseph. But we have something More incredible, we have Jesus who gives us his spirit so we can walk through these difficult situations and times. And again, I'm not discounting that Joseph was in prison and I'm sure he had some bad moments. I'm sure there were times he did say, man, this does suck. I'm sure there was some doubt in his heart during this process. But quickly, his eyes were, got off himself and pointed to the Lord. Here's another thing, if if you guys have been paying attention which I know you have because you're good, good students of the Bible, to this passage you recognize in verses 1 through 6 and 19 through 23 is the exact same story just told in a different way. The same exact points are being made in verses 1 through 6 than in 19 through 23. 
Let's just make you a quick recap. First, Joseph is taken, one as a slave, one as a prisoner, both taken against his will. Two, the Lord is with Joseph in Potiphar's house and in the prison. Three, there is blessing that follows Joseph's obedience in Potiphar's house and in the prison. Both Potiphar and the warden elevate Joseph and put him in charge of everything and don't have a concern about it. And finally, three, the staple is the ends with the Lord was with Joseph. So what we see is we see the overarching theme in these two sections of Scripture that the Lord is with Joseph in the beginning and in the end. And therefore, because this is true, because this is where Joseph stakes his life, that the Lord is with him, Joseph can flourish with everything in the middle. He could flourish in the actualization of the temptation. He can flee from that and deal with the consequences. He can flourish being a prisoner. He can be flourishing the false accusations. And as you remember in Genesis chapter 38, one of the reasons why we said Genesis 38 comes before Genesis 39 is because God is doing a contrast between Judah and Joseph. And here's where we see the fundamental difference is between Judah and Joseph. Joseph banked his life on the presence of the Lord and Judah didn't. Judah was living for Judah. He left the promised land. He, he fled the Lord's presence to fulfill his desires. Joseph was, didn't leave the promised land on his own accord. He was thrown into slavery, but he pressed deeper into the Lord while he was out of the promised land and the Lord's presence. We see other contrasts. We see Judah marries and lies with foreign women, and Joseph denies foreign women. We see uh, Judas's sexual immorality. We see Joseph's sexual purity. We see Judah as the victimizer. We see Joseph as the victim. We see with uh, with Judah, he got the judgment of God because of his sin, and Joseph got the blessing of God because of his obedience. We see Judah was... The accusations that the woman Tamar made against him were true. We see Joseph, the accusations that were made against him were false. So why this contrast? Well, one, to bring out this point that when we press in and the Lord was with Joseph, we see that it can lead to a, to a life, not a perfect life, but a life that is going to be filled less with sin, destruction, and suffering. But also, why contrast these two? I think to show us our need for Jesus. I think to show all of us in here our need for Jesus. What do I mean? I mean this, because if we're all honest in here, we, we probably tend to look more like Judah than we do with Joseph. I think if, we're, if we can step back and be honest, which we can here, I think we, we can see ourselves more line up with Judah than we can with Joseph. I think we've all... F- We all have fallen to sexual temptation at one way or another in all the different facets in which it presents itself. No one in here has escaped that temptation. In fact, we've fallen over and over again. Uh, No one in here has, again, um, we tend to be more the victimizer than we do the victim. Uh, We tend to want our, our way and forget about the Lord's way. I think we can safely say that we can tend to look more like Judah than Joseph, can we not? And this is why we, we, we need this. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Because of God's grace, because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, we have hope. One, because we see that, that Joseph does have victory over sin and temptation. 
And because of God's Word, because we have the Spirit, we, we too can have victory. And we, and we do. As we come to know Jesus a little bit more, our, our lives are, it's called the sanctification process. We are becoming more and more like Christ. We, we are having more and more victory over sin. So that's one. We can, we can walk in obedience. We have everything available and the, the ability to walk in obedience and choose Christ rather than choose sin. So that's number one. But number two is when we do give in to temptation, when we do fall, when we do sin, uh, we, we, we look to Joseph who points us to Jesus. And when we do that, we recognize that we have a Savior. We have a mediator. We have a high priest who forgives us. And he doesn't tell us to clean up our act. He doesn't, try us to, he doesn't tell us to try harder and do better the next time this temptation comes. No, he says, rest in me. Rest in me and what I have done for you. Trust me and what I have done for you. In my life, I live the perfect life in your place. That's what we trust in. I died on the cross to, make, to give you forgiveness of your sin. So that's the second thing is when we do fall into temptation, we have a Savior, we have a Lord that stands at the gate waiting to forgive us. You see, we also see this is what happened with Judah, if you guys remember. After all the contrasts of all the negative against Judah, what do we see in Judah uh, in, in Genesis chapter 38? We saw when Judah was confronted, he finally acknowledged his sin. He confessed his sin, not only verbally, but also in actions. And we see the Lord's blessing from here on out on Judah's life, to the point which we saw that it's Judah's line in which the Savior comes. It's his family tree in which Jesus Christ comes. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why there's a contrast between Judah and Joseph. So as we close, this is, this is good news. This is redemption at its finest in Genesis chapter 39. Joseph points us to Jesus. And the reason why he points us to Jesus is because everyone in here needs Jesus. You and me. Every day of our lives. And again, the overarching theme of Genesis 39 is that we need to have an awareness of the thereness of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chapter in the Bible. Lord, it is a great chapter in the Bible. It is a chapter that, that we can tangibly benefit from as we walk out these doors. I know just in my life that when temptation came this week, that, that, that phrase and understanding that you are with me. Uh, you, you help me become more the awareness of the thereness of you through this passage. Lord, may that, may that trickle down. May that be used by all of us in here to overcome and defeat temptation in our lives, sexual temptation and any other form of temptation that may come, that our desire is to be obedient to the call that we have in Christ, to be faithful ambassadors, and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.